Hello and welcome to The Weekly Skeptic. I'm Nick Dixon and this is the third of our pilot slash teaser episodes. Official launch remains September 6th for reasons only fully understood by our great leader, Mr. Toby Young. So this is a special interview episode where I talk to comedian and general troublemaker Leo Kurse. And I think you'll like it. It's very entertaining. I hope you'll like it. What we have at the moment is two different types of episodes. We have the so-called banter episodes where we discuss the week in skepticism with Toby and another guest from the Daily Skeptic. And then we have these interview episodes. The initial plan was to do a bit of banter before the interview, and that would be just one episode. But the banter got so long that we now are releasing them separately. So let us know which you prefer or or if you have another idea. But please be nice because I'm a very sensitive snowflake. So I think you'll enjoy the interview. It's perhaps a touch more rude than some of our content, but no swearing. We told Leo he couldn't swear, which he almost managed. And when he didn't, we edited it out. A couple of sound issues at the very start, but they're resolved quickly. But these are very minor things I'm just mentioning because I know that listeners like a perfect audio experience. And there's also an interesting point where we discuss Frankie Boyle quite presciently without realizing he was about to be cancelled again that week or not cancelled because he's part of the woke comedic elite now. Anyway, so enough of me. Let's go to me in a different setting interviewing Mr. Leo Kurz. You're listening to The Weekly Skeptic, I'm Nick Dixon, and I'm joined now by a very talented comedian slash commentator, and now presenter on GB News. If you've watched that channel, you'll know him because he's on pretty much constantly. If not, you'll get to know him now, and I'm talking, of course, about my colleague and very good acquaintance, Mr. Leo Kurse. Leo, welcome to The Weekly Skeptic. Is there anything I missed in that intro, credits you'd like to add, achievements, insults? No, it's just weird to hear you being nice about me. <laughs> I thought I should. I thought you won't come back if I don't do that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's like when you have to like hug a hug a friend. It, it felt like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know because me and Leo are known for doing the headliners on GB News, and the thing is, we kind of go at each other, and people like the banter, don't they? And so, yeah, it's a bit weird yeah. when I'm being nice. But you're a very good comedian, Leo, and you're a commentator now. Would you say what would you say you are now? Because I've sort of given up thinking of myself as a comedian. Maybe because I'm not funny enough. I see myself as a sort of serious you, commentator figure now. You caught and, up. You caught up with popular opinion. <laughs> exactly, because I mean, like we were in a, a comedy competition in 2011. We were in the final of the Leicester Square Comedy, whatever it was called. And it's quite funny yeah. to find us now, 11 years later. You know, doing far right commentary uh, on, on GB <laughs> News, which, which didn't even exist, of course. Like that's quite a weird trajectory, yeah. isn't it? But you're sort of a bit of both. You're, you know, what we do is a weird mixture of comedy and, and, and serious. We're supposed to be serious, aren't we, as well, on headliners. It's a weird mixture. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, there's there's a lot of comedy to be found in just, uh, you know, seriously dissecting the news. Just the re- reality of the world is just so uh, surreal at the moment. You've got, you know, people pretending that they're frogs. I've just recorded a video about uh, about genders. There's there's people pretending they're frogs, frog gender, bug gender, cake gender. You know, all this all this kind of nonsense. People genuinely pretending that they're cats and talking to each other in meows. And this is, you know, the, maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago, this would have been either uh, something that people kept themselves and, you know, met up at weird clubs, you know, the same sort of clubs that people, you know, dress all in rubber or whatever, uh, or it would be a mental illness. And now it's celebrated. And if you don't refer to that person, if you're a teacher in a school and you don't refer to that person as a frog, then you get hauled in front of the HR department and the Quality, Diversity and Inclusion Board and uh, you get castigated and uh, and thrown in the in the canal with the newts. So yeah, it's 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 just it's a real sort of clown world we're living in, and uh, I think that's that's why just to to dissect anything, to dissect a lot of what's happening culturally in the world, is just inherently funny. That, that is definitely true, and um, I, there was also bird gender the other day I noticed, and and also you shared a video, like you're saying you have to bird, celebrate bird it now. Gender. Bird gender is just women. Yeah, good point. Good we got a misogynist joke in early because that's totally on brand for us. People have called me an incel on GB. I, I really object. I think of myself as a classical misogynist. We believe in the free market, but women shouldn't be allowed in it. That's that's my position. It's called classical misogyny. Um, so, uh, so speaking of this gender stuff and how you have to celebrate it, you, you shared a tweet 
from I think it was probably from libs of TikTok. It was one of these mad libs of TikTok tweets, and it was uh, it was a couple, two women, I think, and they had a, a young child, very young toddler, and they were saying, "Oh, we're doing a gender reveal," and like this blue stuff went up in the air, and it's like yeah. a gender transgender re- reveal they were calling it, and I'm like, "There's no way your child of that age can know." that they're trans or anything. And it was pure narcissism because they were filming themselves celebrating and the child looked up at them and clearly had no idea what was going on. I was like, this is a perfect encapsulation of where we are. The child has no idea. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's become a sort of the latest uh, middle-class uh, accessory uh, to have a, a trans child. And uh, like, so if you're, if you're at the dinner table uh, at Islington, you want to be able to one-up the, the, you know, the Esmeralda sitting next to you. So, you know, a, a gay child isn't enough anymore. You've got to have a, a trans child. And if you look at, um, you know, the, the elites, like the Hollywood, Hollywood actors and actresses, they've all got transgender tr- children now. If you're, if you're a child growing up uh, in, a, in a community or in a, in a class strata that's been, been taken over by, you know, the gender ideology, you've got no chance of making it to puberty without having your gender tinkered with. It's so yeah, and that that kid. I mean, because the kid in the TikTok video that you're talking about, the kids are like two years old, and yeah. like kids say stuff you know all the time, and you don't just indulge every whim. You just say, "Oh, that's nice, dear." You know, if they want to play with a doll, let them play with a doll. If they want to wear pink, let them wear pink. It doesn't mean that they want to have puberty blockers and surgery and all the rest of it. It just means they're two years old and they're just playing and having fun. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. The weird thing about this gender ideology is it's so rigidly. Uh, binary and in one sense you know in another sense it's so uh, diaphanous with all these different made-up genders but in the other sense it's like oh this child wants to play with dolls it means it means this child is a woman you know and it's like well why are you uh, why are you putting such rigid um you know boundaries on gender you know gender doesn't genders never really meant that much like uh, being being a man uh, encapsulates everything from you know david bowie to hulk hogan you know Brian Sewell, everybody, every conceivable, you know, sort of man. Um, you don't have to just be this, you know, regimented, you know, masculine, traditional style trait man. So, yeah, it's a nonsense. David Bowie, you know, it doesn't mean David Bowie's a woman. Right. Because I worry about my nephews and niece going to comprehensive schools. And I just think, I hope my you know, brother's aware of all this stuff. Because I'm like, they're going to be trans at these schools against their will. There was a really funny um, thing on Lotus Eaters uh, today, the podcast, where they were talking about a couple who they had a little girl and she had said a few things about feeling like a boy or something. And they were like, yeah, yeah, she wants to be a boy. And they were so excited. But then it kind of fell away and she started liking girl things again. And their conclusion was, she must have picked it up from the teachers. They're pressing this ideology on them. It's like, yeah, that's the conclusion. <laughs> when she wants to be the thing she actually is, it's an ideology. But your thing is normal. Do you worry about this for the future? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not just uh, you know state schools. It's also, I mean, so, some of the some of the most extreme um, reaches of the ideology are happening happening in private schools. We've got friends with kids in in private schools, uh, fee paying schools. And, uh, and you know they're they're the most woke and the ones that are trying to decolonize the curriculum and you know wipe any uh, vestiges of any any white history from uh, from the curriculum. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's an absolute it's an absolute concern because uh, children are vulnerable. And um, I mean, all all the way through human history, there's been you know horrible uh, scandals where power structures have enabled uh, bad actors. I, I don't mean you know. I, I don't mean Grant, the guy who plays Grant Mitchell. I mean like um, you know people with bad intentions to to come in and abuse that power structure. So you know we've had the Catholic Church, uh, we've had the BBC, um, we've, we've had uh, you know the grooming gang scandals where where um, uh, Pakistani Muslim uh, paedophiles are allowed to operate um, under the auspices and the protection of uh, of the the left wing authorities. And police, and uh, and now we've got uh, drag queen story hour, and um, what was the other one? The the family sex show, all these sort of dog. You know, I'm not saying these people themselves are pedophiles, but they've created. Um, you know, they go into schools and they, they get naked and they talk about um, gender and sexuality and stuff. So they've certainly created a system that would be very easy for a pedophile to exploit. Well, and some of them are, when you look into you know, some of the drag shows, it turns out they have actually got records for, for, for dodgy stuff. But yeah, it's funny you say that because just the other day, 
uh, Posey Parker got a visit from the police, didn't she, for being yeah. untoward about a paedophile. I thought that was unbelievable. <laughs> the police knocked on the door. Excuse me, madam, uh, being a bit rude about a paedophile online. It's like, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's inc- you can do- that is incredible. But the other thing I wanted to pick up on is you were sort of making a quite sort of quite a lib, lib, I don't, you know, sort of a libs point about gender there. You weren't, you were, you know, quite surprisingly, you were being like, hey, gender's fluid. And you actually have some points about trans stuff that sometimes can surprises people on GB. What is your actual view on it? Because I'm sure we've disagreed on it, but I can't remember exactly why. Yeah, I think, I think transgender, uh, transgender people, obviously, some of them are, are genuine. Um, you know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but like I mean, a lot, a lot of the stuff that we we sort of you know ridicule and and look at, you know, people pretend to be cats and stuff. Obviously, you're not a cat, um, and you know it's stuff that's been pushed on on two year olds and stuff that becomes a social contagion at high schools and just you know goes around all the all the teenage girls like a you know like a fad, like you know like in a boy band or self harming or whatever it is that. Um, you know, young young girls get obsessed with. Um, you know, that's that's not sort of true transgenderism. But I do believe I do believe that there are people who are genuinely transgender. I dated a transgender woman, and you know, she's definitely. You know, if you met her, you'd be like, "This is definitely a woman." Probably more more of a woman than uh, than uh, you know, a, a lot of um, genuine women. And I'm saying that I'm saying that from the point of view of a, a misogynistic man with uh, with you know male beauty ideals that involve like uh, very little hair, uh, enormous breasts because we're not allowed to swear. <laughs> but you know what I mean, and and you know all all the rest of it, big lips and you know uh, the sort of Barbie look. So um, you know, obviously that's from my point of view. Obviously, you know, if you're some sort of you know dumpy you know middle aged feminist woman, you're going to have a different idea about what a woman is. But you know, you know what? I'm right. I was shocked when I first found that out that you'd been out with trans people. Now I've worked with you more. I've got to know you. I'm like, of course he does. Uh, but, um, but I don't know what that even means. But <laughs> that's me being transphobic. That's me cancelled. But, um, but you had this uh, rather Leo-ish criterion of what what makes someone actually properly trans. And you said it was whether they'd made an effort. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Keir Starmer should have said this when he, he was asked, "What what is a woman?" Because um, we've got to be honest, there there are some uh, some natural women, some you know traditional women who just don't make the grade and should be forced into the men's toilets. Um, <laughs> like basically, any any transgender, you get these transgender women who just you know with beards and stuff, and it's like, mm. no, you're not a transgender woman. Like a lot of the a lot of the transitioning, it's like it's like I've got to do the transition in my head. And like, it's not my transition. Why am I having to put the effort in? It's like reading a book. You're like, I'm having to make all the effort myself. Yeah, make up in my imagination, make all the, <laughs> the scenes and stuff. It's like, no, I can watch a film. There's, you know, I can see the car chase. They've got to meet, they've got to at least meet us halfway, at least shave, you know, and like when you're at the bar, say, can I have a glass of Chardonnay, please? And then I'll call you Samantha. You know what I mean? I'm not having some just unshaven bloke, you know, be like, oh, what, lads? You know, that's, you're not a woman. <laughs> And I pointed out the flaw, of course, in your system is that the only way it can work is if Leo Kurz is on a kind of judging panel and every trans person is brought before him and he decides whether they've made an effort or not. I can't see a flaw. Fair enough. All right. Well, we somehow got onto that. What I was actually going to ask, because I think it was going to be of interest to our listeners who are very likely to be free speech type people. They're likely to be fans of the Free Speech Union. And I was going to ask, have you ever been cancelled in comedy or beyond? Oh yeah, I've been cancelled loads. You know, like uh, I got cancelled from the Perth Fringe uh, in 2019 in Australia because um, I was doing a show called Right Wing Comedian, and obviously that got, gets people's backs up in the arts. So you know, they're all for tolerance and diversity, but only if it's something they already tolerate. And there's you know some pretty hard limits on the diversity. You can't have the you can't have the same political opinions in the world of comedy as more than 50 percent of the population. Uh, they, they, people genuinely. When I when I sort of came out as right wing, people thought I was doing it for either doing it for attention or I was mentally ill. You know, I don't know Andrew <laughs> Lawrence got this as well. It's like no, I'm you know I, I genuinely do think that these uh, you know these poly, economic policies that have delivered you know huge growth and prosperity for 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 the world, you know capitalism and free markets that they're they're good. And the policies that left wing people support that have delivered starvation and uh, gulags and torture chambers are bad. You know, 
but that, that somehow makes me makes me crazy in the world of comedy. See, I was I was cancelled from my venue at the the Perth Fringe, and it annoys me when you know you get people like Frankie Boyle saying, "Oh, cancel culture doesn't exist." When he's Frankie Boyle is the epitome of a comedian frantically trying to remain uh, relevant and within the narrow strata of what's you know acceptable to dis- discuss. He's like Madonna reinventing reinventing his career. He used to do the most uh, you know horrific and nasty. Um, uh, jokes about you know commenting on people's appearance. There's the joke about the swimmer Rebecca Adlington looking at herself in the back of the spoon. All this like really nasty sort of misogynistic, very funny stuff. Uh, like the, he did a he did a joke about um, Katie uh, Price. Harvey Harvey yeah, Price, Katie Katie Price Price's Price's kid, yeah. and it it managed to be uh, racist. Uh, you know, playing on racist tropes about um, uh, about about rape or whatever, and um, uh, sizist and disabledist and sexist and misogynist all at once. Um, it was great, great joke. But now he's reinvented himself as this some sort of you know moral barometer. And man, he is the epitome of somebody who's desperately trying to not get cancelled. And he says there's no cancel culture. If like if there's no cancel culture, why aren't you still being funny? Yeah, he's he's amazing, Boyle, because he he famously he, well, not famously, people seem to have forgotten. He used to have a, a column in the Sun, which is not the most left wing thing you can have. Everyone's forgotten that. Like you say, he did the most offensive jokes possible. Now his comedy is basically he sits there and interviews Sarah Pascoe and some people of color about why we're all evil or something, and they all nod solemn. And there's that weird moment with Sophie Duca, wasn't there, on that show where she basically said we hate white people, and everyone just sort of agreed, and that was comedy. Yeah, and and you know Sophie Duca is classic, a classic example of a comedian who talks about privilege and uh, you know all all this sort of stuff and yet has the most privileged background. She's got incredibly wealthy parents, uh, went to, um, I think she went to a fee-paying school, I'm not totally sure, um, went to uh, Oxford or Cambridge and, um, you know, graduated fr- from there. Uh, she's, her parents work in the in the media, so she's, you know, she's had every possible leg up. And she's, you know, she's a woman, uh, she's uh, some sort of gender, uh, or sexuality, and she's a person of color. You know, right at a time when those are absolutely exalted um, characteristics for for a person, and you know, something like that is going to be put way ahead of you know a, a stale pale male in the media. Just you know, if you don't believe me, look at an advert break, and you know, show me show me the show me the white people. Yeah, <laughs> and it was bizarre that she could just say that on on the BBC. I think it was, but then equally, perhaps other people went too far, saying, well. How can she get away with this? This should be banned. I didn't feel it should particularly be banned. I thought they made a rubbish joke. There was some, there was perhaps a vague joke behind it, a vague irony. I mean, not much irony. You know, when they said we, we hate whitey or we'll kill whitey, whatever they said exactly. Yeah. But then, of course, perhaps we can go too far and say we, that should be banned. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it should be banned. But I mean, I didn't think it was a, it was a good joke. It was a joke that was said for, for shock value. Um, and you know, so why is that allowed? Why is that broadcastable on terrestrial television? Um, whereas Andrew Lawrence gets completely cancelled, his tour cancelled, his agent drops him, uh, all the you know, thousands of pounds worth of work go- gone from his diary just for making uh, a joke about uh, the you know the the penalty takers, which wasn't even factually inaccurate. I mean, it, it, not what he's what he said, but the 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 basis of it. He was just commenting on what had happened. It was a meta commentary on how you know everybody just absolutely uh, <laughs> prostrates themselves and you know uplifts, deifies you know anybody of color for for some reason. Yeah, and, just in know, case for- the listeners forgotten, you were, you were talking about when England lost the penalties, and uh, Andrew Lawrence made a joke about it online at a very very febrile time when you really just yeah. had to be saying like these players are amazing and that was the only that was the only thing you were allowed to say on twitter and he just said that maybe they weren't in a funny way <laughs> and then he kind of and it also being andrew he doubled down on it uh, which people didn't understand yeah. you doubled down on the joke <laughs> but they just thought well he's just simply a racist saying something evil like he's not a comedian now he's making a statement this is what he yeah. thinks Whereas, of course it's just andrew being mischievous and got it a bit yeah. perhaps a bit wrong when they, and like you say they already had the precedent yep. of calling him mentally ill from the first time he got cancelled but he was he was kicking against the um you know the the sort of very rigid cultural boundaries that are put on us. So you know you're not allowed to criticise uh, the uh, the people of colour and the England football team. You're not allowed to say that. I mean, you you can do it the other way around, no problem. That's you know that's encouraged. But uh, but you can't 
possibly say that, hey, wait a minute, maybe Marcus Rad- Rashford is, is bad at penalties. Um, <laughs> and the other, it's just, an abs- go on. It's just a, a, a nonsense that, you know, he, what he said was so benign, so inherently benign. And uh, the only thing it was doing was was pushing against the sort of ideology that that can that constrains that constrains us, and you know just the fact that he kicked to get that. It's it's like you know if somebody just marginally criticizes the Quran in some way, uh, you know people in Islamabad will, will take to the streets and uh, burn effigies. It was it felt it felt like that kind of response. Yeah, and whereas I managed to get cancelled for the the opposite thing you're not allowed to do of saying that I lost a gig for being a, a straight white man, which which is what happened, and I just shared the yeah. thing that someone had sent me with all the sensitive information taken out thinking it was funny and just got destroyed for a week but that's not about me it's about you today Leo and you've had your own little racial thing it's quite funny googling you I googled you today just think what happens if you google Leo Kirst and you've got your website there very good you've got your YouTube very well optimized you've obviously spent something on SEO there and if you go down no I haven't I just make good content Nick oh that must be it you go down and then you get a taste of like what it is to be Leo Kirst it's like anti-woke comedian Leo Kirst red-faced after bold claim about Scottish something then it ends then it's Victoria <laughs> Cora Mitchell, Brands Leo Kirst joke, racist. And then it's Leo Kirst, you'll see more exciting stuff in the clubs than you will on dot, dot, dot. Then it's Leo rips into fellow comedian Nish Kumar and compares the SMP to the BMP. So it's basically a series of you getting called a racist then calling other people <laughs> racist. And kind of, yeah. It's kind of like you, you get stuck in, don't you, Leo? And you had one on headliners with Victoria Cora Mitchell where she yeah. called you a racist because you made a, a sort of funny joke about Nazanin, wasn't it? Nazanin uh, Zagari Markle. Uh, so she she was the um, <laughs> now Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe. So she she was the um, she was over and she's an Iranian woman. Well, she's a a British citizen now, I believe. Um, and she went back to Iran against the advice of the Home Office uh, to to teach or to spy or something like that, and uh, got caught for for spying or teaching or whatever, and got locked up in an Iranian prison by the Iranian government. And uh, then Britain spent half a billion pounds getting her back, paid this debt, you know, that we shouldn't have paid because because of trade embargoes or whatever, um, to to get her back. And instead of being like, oh my god, I'm so I'm so glad the British government, the British taxpayers paid that money to get me back, she came back and totally salated the British government and didn't say anything about the Iranian government. And it just for me, it just exemplified, you know, how people, everybody will just, you know, like just what's what's a word I can use. That isn't swearing for you know poo poo on Britain or on Western liberal <laughs> democracy from a great height, but won't say anything about the genuinely barbaric and horrific misogynist you know unegalitarian regimes like Iran where they you know execute gays and all the rest of it. So you know she she I just felt it was ungrateful. So I introducing the story on headliners, I said uh, so Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe, uh, which is Iranian for ungrateful, and you know it got it got a laugh because it's. It's kicking. It's like being in school by up the back of the class, pointing out the obvious, the obvious thing. You know, it's it got yeah. a laugh. It was, you know, it got a laugh. It was funny. It wasn't. Yeah. I'm not saying it's like you know the greatest worker or anything. It's not Chris Rock's <laughs> bit, but you know, it, it's a it's a nice little throwaway line. It got a laugh. Anyway, Victoria Cora Mitchell uh, accused me of being racist, and uh, obviously I wasn't being racist. Man, she she picked the one thing where I wasn't being racist. Uh, so yeah, I had a great time uh, ripping her to bits for that. Yeah, and I even went and had to do a long thread defending you. I felt I had to. And actually, that is that is some of my best work, that thread. That was uh, my best <laughs> writing ever. And um, yeah, because she was going through saying, for a start, the language isn't Iranian, it's Farsi. It's like, yeah, Victoria, but that doesn't really work as a joke, does it? Because people don't know that. Yeah. And it's funny to say Iranian for ungrateful, much funnier than Farsi for ungrateful, because jokes aren't yeah. documents. They're not UN documents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an absolute truth. You know what I mean? There wasn't actually a chicken or a road, and it didn't cross it. You know what I mean? Like You're a comedian, yeah. Victoria. So I, I do a podcast with an Iranian uh, called uh, da- oh, yeah. Darius uh, Davies Shwaji. Yeah, and, and that's also um, charity work as well, working with Darius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's keeping him distracted and not committing a school shooting. So uh, <laughs> we invited her. Darius, uh, the Iranian, invited Victoria onto the podcast to see, you know, if she was as, you know, as as willing to open up to ethnic minorities as, as she claims, and uh, she refused to come on. And I can the only thing I can surmise is that it's because he's Iranian. And she also famously defended her friend Jimmy Carr for his very controversial joke about travellers. Because why? Because that's her mate. But when Leo does it, he's not in the elite class. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's weird how uh, lefties think, you know, um, what's her name? Rosie, who's that terrible, terrible comedian? Josie, Josie Long. Um, with the, oh, just the, the epitome of like just left-wing awfulness. Uh, but gets all these opportunities. I, I don't understand it. But she uh, she wrote a, th- a thing in the Guardian about how uh, how right wing comedians like uh, like Jimmy Carr, uh, Dave Chappelle, and all the rest of it they, they don't read uh, they don't read any books. And it's like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Dave Chappelle reads books. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, she also said nobody sticks up for left wing people left wing people's freedom of speech. And it's like yes, they do. Like <laughs> we, we, everybody supports left wing people's freedom of speech. Well, they're the one enforcing the, the laws. That's why they're enforcing the rule, not even laws, but they're the ones oppressing everyone, Josie, because they now have all the cultural power. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But yeah, when she says they don't read books, it means they don't read the books they choose. Read a book, educate yourself, le- learn, listen and learn. Translation, conform to our ideology. Yeah, and maybe read, maybe read, like, maybe read like the Gulag Ar- Archipelago or something like that. Or yeah, yeah. Read, read some Douglas Murray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Read Scrooge and How to Be a Conservative. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We read books. They're different books. Um, Yeah, yeah, they're better books. Yeah, smarter people. That's a a question I was going to ask later, but we'll get onto it now because I was going to say to you, can comedy be saved, you know, from all that? I've basically given up on comedy. People say to me, Nick, can you come on GB and say something about it? And I've almost got bored of saying anything about, someone said to me the other day, are comedians self-centering? It's like, I almost don't care. I hate most of them. I've sort (laughs) of like, you know, they've been so horrible to me. Some are very nice, but I've abandoned them. <laughs> and you sort of seem to be still in there fighting. Can comedy or stand-up be saved? Yeah, I think it can. I think, you know, as a comedian, um, you know, for, for a comedian like you or I, you've got to sort of go beyond the, the the stage where you're just doing clubs because clubs can cancel you very, very easily. And you don't even know uh, when you've been cancelled. There have been some promoters that, that have openly... Uh, cancelled me like you know um, Adam, Adam Rushton uh, says he's never going to book me again um, and I think show and tell uh, say they're never going to book me again other ones are just you know you just they just stop booking you and it's do they give a reason when they do that they, they don't have to you know what I mean so um, yeah they, they, they don't have to but it's, it's stupid I know I know I'm like I know I can deliver the goods and I know I, I'm not just like funny but uh, different and interesting so it's genuine diversity on the bill Instead of just like the same, like, oh, Boris is a dum-dum, you know, Trump is a dum-dum jokes. But yeah, I can, I can definitely deliver the goods. And there's a lot of clubs that do still book me, like Vauxhall and Top Secret and um, uh, up in Northers, up Northers, the Rotunda in Glasgow. Um, there's loads of places still book me, so I still get plenty of work. But I think you've got to sort of get, get beyond the clubs and get your own following and mm. do your own shows. Because that's... That's where you then you can do the material you really want to do. When people are coming specifically to see you, and it's not like an away game, you can like you can do what you want to do. They're already on board, and they want to see that stuff. They don't want to see like you know bland stuff that will appeal to everybody. That's you know that's what I'm trying to do now. So hopefully I'm, I'm touring. I'm just in in, the, in talks with a promoter right now about doing a tour next year, next October. Oh, cool. Yeah, because you build it up yourself, like you say. And, and we do these alternative platforms like GB or, or Lotus Eaters or whatever. But the, yeah. the mainstream route, I mean, when we started, and I'd say we were in that competition back in 2011, there was still sort of the, the old-fashioned dream of doing the Apollo and or those kind of things. I, I don't know if Netflix was a big thing then yet, but that kind of thing. But I remember yeah. the, the, the wokeness was creeping in. I mean, the listener can decide what they think of this, but I did the So You Think You're Funny final, which was the kind of famous competition in comedy the most famous people like peter k had won it or lee mack are these type of people and i remember the previous year lee mack was a judge and i was thinking pity it's not lee mack this year but the year i did it they said it has to be a woman there's an all-woman judging panel and it was an unofficial thing going around that it had to be a woman and then this ashleen b was in it who was kind of too advanced for it already and she is very good and everything but she of course won it and i got called misogynist <laughs> and uh, never looks back and it's just that whereas the previous you could look through the previous winners for years and years and years and years it was all men and of course no one thought anything of that it was just who's funny yeah. and there's more men in stand up but then that year it was like right now we have to have women and that scene is completely normal now we have to have a certain amount of women but that actually wasn't that hadn't really come in and that just started just as we kind of started yeah yeah, yeah, that it was it was creeping in. There was the the movement to have because when I started doing comedy, it was still very sort of uh, lads with floppy haircuts. You know, like the sort of all the Russells um, were the sort <laughs> of top comedians, 
And then there's, yeah, skinny jeans and all the rest of it. And then, obviously, there's been a big push for, for diversity and stuff, which, to be honest, the comedy scene kind of needed. You know what I mean? There's, it needed more more diversity. But now it's at the point where, man, if you're if you're uh, <laughs> if you're a stale, pale male, as they say, then you've got no chance because they've already got a bunch of them. They've got enough of them. So what they need now is, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, transgender pansexual women on roller skates who's who's black you know it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna yeah. wash just and, it, and it's more like your identity is more important you even get comedians that come on stage and they're all like oh yes yeah, so uh so i'm transgender and i'm pansexual and it's like man nobody cares it's it's 2022 that's not shocking anymore that's literally an advert for oven chips right there you're not <laughs> being transgressive against the establishment in any way yeah well the way i looked at it was there's, there's more, obviously we're in an 87% white country or whatever the exact figure is. White men tend to be a lot of the people doing comedy. And then what happened is yeah. they reduced the spots and let's say there's six spots on the Apollo. Okay, there's two for white men or something. And then there's already way more going for it and there's less spots. And then you've got the phenomenon where you've got all the old white men who won't leave and they're still on there. So when um, I was attacked by Jason Manford online, threw me under the bus to 400,000 people, even though I've always been very nice to him and about him. <laughs> he threw me under the bus at my most vulnerable point when I was being attacked and cancelled and was having a lot of trouble about that. A very, very stressful, horrible week. Uh, but he, he said, oh, you know, my point was stupid because he's, he's famous. <laughs> and he listed people like Alan Davis. I can't remember, but it was a list of people who had all... Nearly all of them were established Started in the 90s, in the 90s. or 2000s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, no, we know you've kept the jobs. Yeah, yeah. It, what it's like in comedy, to use a sports analogy, it's like if Gary Lineker was still in the England football team going, no, no, I've still got a few goals in me. It's like, get lost, mate. We need someone else to have a chance. And um, my other yeah. sports analogy, where I differ from you slightly, is I would have, if the funniest comedians on a, let's say it was a panel show, I would have six black women if they were the funniest people. I'd have six white men. I'd have six gay whatever i'd have just the funniest people because i think it's like a sport of the funniest people whereas you tend to say no nick we need a couple of blah blah, blah and i don't think we do i think we just have, who's the funniest or the best no it does it does it does change the flavor so i, I book a night uh, called hate and live which is like a sort of it's a special format show basically the audience writes down what they hate it goes into a bucket and we pull it out and the comedians have to say why they hate it so we have a panel of comedians and if it's all men I mean, it can be it can be a good show, but it's it's kind of the same. It can be repetitive. If you if you throw a woman in there, then you've got a a, a change of uh, a change of energy and a change of uh, perspective. So I think diversity is important. But the thing is, we're hating life. We have genuine diversity because, but we get like the best people, and we'll always try and get like a woman on just for that you know different energy. Um, but you look at like when the BBC or a lot of the big bookers in comedy, like look at the latitude festival like jesus man all these like all these places they're they're they say they're they're doing diversity but they're, what they're doing is box ticking which they're just getting people if they you know oh that person's you know whatever trans or whatever that person's this so you know we'll put them even though they've only been going for like a year and a half and they're absolutely terrible and their jokes are really hack and formulaic and you know it's all like you know oh that was just the dinner ladies and then it got <laughs> off the bus all that stuff, man, like that never, that never works. You've got to have people who can actually deliver the goods first and foremost. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered comedy pretty well, which is obviously your expertise. But I wanted to also ask you about the unholy trinity of the Daily Skeptic and now the Weekly Skeptic, which are the sort of three main areas we tend to cover. And the first one is COVID slash lockdowns. And I was quite interested to get your take because I was pretty vocal during lockdowns. I was against them very early. I thought everyone was behaving in a pathetic way. I didn't think the government had a right to take away all my work. That offended me a little bit, that I suddenly had nothing. Yeah. And I went on Mark Dolan's show on Talk Radio to talk about it. And I was pretty vocal. But I can't really recall at the time what your take on it. Were you always against them or not or some other take? Yeah, no, I was, I was against them. Like, as a comedian, you sort of live, you need to work to make a living. It's not like you know other jobs that you can just sit, sit at home with a laptop I need to go out and I need to spit on people in an enclosed environment to make a living. But obviously, you know, that was that was banned for quite a long time. Um, but man, coronavirus, like I sort of get that they needed to like, you know, uh, like slow it down a bit. But they could have just they could have just done what they did in Sweden and, you know, not had this horrible um, impact on social and people think it's just an economic impact. It's not, you know. Now you've got kids with, uh, you know, kids have had two years of completely disrupted school. So as on top of being thick, uh, which they're, you know, they're already going to be pretty thick, uh, <laughs> but now they're like super thick, 
and they've got all these like mental health issues and behavioral problems and you know so now now we've got that to deal with and it's like thanks very much now i'm probably gonna get stabbed by a 13 year old who can't do calculus yeah no one talks about the problem of super thick kids yeah 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 and like i felt you know coronavirus really mostly affected old people and fat people and you know fat people have made their choice you know i mean especially like a year into a pandemic if you're still fat you've decided okay i'd rather be fat than than live like if you know there's this virus that kills fat people and you're still fat like come on like they're taking they're 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 playing the russian roulette why have i got to like you know have the have a bullet as well good point it's a libertarian point old people at some point you gotta die and you just gotta accept that so i felt all the sort of young people were having their lives totally curtailed and having all this debt piled on them, you know, just so that some some fat and old people could live live for a bit. Sorry if that sounds callous. Oh well, it's all right, Lee. I'm, I I know you quite well, but the listener can <laughs> can make their own decision. But um, what I was interested in is that we had a a disagreement. I think on headliners, I don't recall the exact details, but you some people got annoyed with you because you seemed vaguely pro COVID passports, but only for traveling. You said they were sort of logical to travel with in Europe or something. I think, no, it was just for people who really didn't want them. I just really want people who don't want them, who, you know, make it their hill to die on. I really want them to have them. Like with, um, you know, anytime, like I've, I've voted Remain, but anytime I see people shrieking in the Guardian about, you know, oh, there's backlogs at Dover and stuff, I'm just, oh, I'm so glad we've had Brexit. You know what I mean? Just to, if we can cause those people the maximum amount of hassle and distress and uh and inflation that that that'd be wonderful but hang on you're talking about one of these pro-vax nutters like karen brady or or, or andrew neil who wants us all to be in a gulag i mean i didn't take the uh the i don't know if we can call it on the on thing the dodgy death jab but um that, that gets edited out if we're on youtube but i think maybe on the audio we can call it that i don't you may not want to reveal your medical status but i have you down as someone who perhaps didn't take it so you i mean covid passports would be terrible for you if that's the case Oh, yeah, well, I did have a COVID passport because I had COVID and then you get like a six-month uh, passport after having COVID. Um, okay. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the vaccine because like I just I was lazy and I just didn't get round to it. Um, <laughs> it's not like I had a lot on at the time, but I just didn't get round to it. And then I got COVID and oh my God, I thought I was going to die. And I wished I'd had the, the jab, to be honest, but I still haven't had the jab. And um now you can just get, you can get like, you can download these things that, you know, fake the, the thing to get through the, the airport. You get like a QR code and stuff. Um, Darius actually, he's, with his fake uh, COVID passport, he made the QR code linked to, to meatspin.com, this sort of uh, old pornographic site. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, so he's going through France and they never, they never scan the QR code. They never, but this, like going through to France, they did scan the QR code. I don't know if it was like just the French. Uh, apparatchiks trying to you know enforce rules on the english to punish them for brexit but uh, they scanned it and it came up in the guy's ipad with uh, meatspin.com the, the website opened the guy panicked and, and let darius through with, in the <laughs> kerfuffle that's hilarious i mean but firstly neither i nor the weekly skeptic are advocating any kind of law breaking leo curse is but that's his choice and um the, the other thing that reminds me of is that no one checks anything people said to me oh you don't wear a mask what happens to you i'm like nothing Nothing like I wore it three yeah. times ever, twice in our friend Mark's comedy club, Top Secret, because I didn't want him to get shut down. The police kept checking him. Yeah. And, and once in once in the doctors or the other way around, anyway, I wore it three times total. Never wore in a supermarket or train or anything. How you do how do you do it, Nick? I just don't wear it. I must have a look in my eye sort of that looks like I might snap at any moment and no one messes with me. But I mean, did you, did you wear the mask? I mean, if people hassled me to to wear it, then you know, and I was in, um, or if it, when I went to um, the pregnancy hospital place, you know, I wear it there. Um, I think you still you still have to wear it in some places in the hospital. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to get in an argument with someone over over the mask. I'll I'll stick it on, but I don't like wearing it for a long period of time. So if I'm on a plane or something, man, I'll I'll put it I'll put it on for the bit at the start where they're like, you know, you walk past them, but when I'm in my seat, I'll just take it off, and they never they never come down come around and complain. You were talking about whether it's the hill to die on in reference to the COVID passport. For me, masks became that, and I said to Jeff Norcott on his podcast, I don't really know why, but I would go to jail over masks. I don't know why, and now I'm like, I'm so yeah. I've become increasingly militant with the vaccine to where I just didn't want it, but now I'm like. Like lots of people on Twitter, I'm like, I'd rather die than have it, which is a bit paradoxical. But that, it's ended up such a culture war issue that I've become like, I'll die on this hill. Yeah, I think everybody's everybody's bored of 
COVID and lockdown now. I don't think they're going to, they're not going to be able to make another pandemic come through. You can see it with the World Health Organization. They're really pushing mon- monkeypox. It's like, uh, it's like you know, you get, you get a one hit wonder and then they bring out another song, like, you know, Cotton Eye Joe. So Rednecks had Cotton Eye Joe, huge hit. And then uh, they had a second an song. Old, old popping an oak. <laughs> and like, you know, the record company's like, yeah, no, this is, you know, because they're, they're all still one. They're one that, that Rednecks, that Cotton Eye Joe money to keep rolling in. And so World Health Organization, they're all, oh, monkeypox, monkeypox, monkeypox. Man, nobody's dying from it. Nobody's getting any symptoms. You can easily avoid it by not going to gay orgies. Like, it's not going to, it's not the same, you know? Like, uh, so the, the, but they, those people are just worried about that, that grant money uh, coming in. And then they'll have to leave the World Health Organization and get real jobs. Two things. Firstly, no one except me has ever referenced popping an oak. But you're right. They came up with the phrase. What's the phrase that's most like Cotton Eye Joe? Uh, popping an oak? That's meaningless. Doesn't matter. <laughs> We're going with it. And the other thing, when you talk about gay orgy, Leo's not just making a, a, a joke there. There was a guy on Twitter who said, look, guys, I've got monkeypox. Full disclosure, I did go to an orgy. I did have sexual contact with around 15 to 20 men. And he did consume, yeah. and I don't know how we can put this delicately on such a highbrow podcast, but he did consume a large quantity of, of urine, he said as well. And he's like, sorry, <laughs> this has given me monkeypox. Yeah, Guys, dude. don't do this. And his advice at the end was, avoid anonymous sexual encounters and orgies. Like, thanks for that, mate. Quickly, because I don't know how much time you've got. I just want to get your take on our other, a second point in our unholy trilogy, which is, climate change and all that kind of thing. And I wondered, what is your, because I haven't really heard you talk too much about it. Is climate change real? Oh, climate change is real. Uh, but I'd argue that it's not the apocalypse that everybody's saying it is. Um, I mean, there, we will have to spend money um, adapting to it. But so far, uh, climate change hasn't really brought the sort of devastation that, that you know, we've, we've been told about. Uh, it's probably saved more lives than it costs. It's cost so far because uh, I mean, the British Medical Journal did a, did a study, a huge, huge longitudinal study of, um, of uh, deaths due to, due to temperature and found that cold weather, cold snaps, kill 20 times as many people as hot weather. So, you know, when you get hot weather, like, you know, last week we had the hottest day um, since the Stone Age in, in the UK, and man, it was just, it's nice weather. We're just having nice weather right now. And it's not, it's not killing people. And also, man, there's other stuff. So the, um, the climate really just warms around the sort of temperate part of the globe. It doesn't affect the equator, the equatorial countries so much. So, you know, places where it's already hot aren't getting, they are getting a bit hotter, but it's not the same, um, same, same difference as you're seeing at, at the poles and in temperate places. There's also other advantages. So it's going to open up, you know, with North North Sea ice, uh, you know, North Pole ice gone. Uh, that'll be a, a faster shipping route uh, with tundra melting. There'll be more inhabitable land and land that you can grow crops on. Um, there's there's uh, with more CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, it's ri- leading to rising crop yields. So and this is this is serious stuff that nobody really. Everybody's just selling the doom and gloom. And anybody who says, oh wait, there's there's actually some good stuff about this gets dismissed as some sort of conspiracy theorist or you know um terrible person um and historically if you go back to like prehistoric times um co2 levels were i think it was in the uh, cambrian era i mean i know this is going back to like sort of you know dinosaurs and even before dinosaurs but in the cambrian era uh, co2 levels were four thousand parts per million and now they're about, I think they're about four, 400, 440. Um, so, you know, they're still, they're still pretty low. The lowest they've ever been is about 170. And that was actually a dangerous time uh, because if, the, if CO2 levels drop below 150 parts per million, all life, you know, life on Earth ceases. You know, we can't, we can't survive. So I'd argue, and also nature is constantly sequestering uh, carbon. So if you look at the uh, the cliffs of Dover, any any limestone that's formed from seashells. So you know seashells are constantly being formed. That's using calcium carbonate. So that's that's a, a carbon sink, um, and you know that that's a huge amount of carbon. We're getting some of that out in, in concrete, and obviously we're getting oil out and, and burning it. That's putting carbon back into the the atmosphere. But long term, um, we're at some point humanity or whatever species comes after us is going to have to turn around and start putting carbon back into the back into the atmosphere 
See, that was very comprehensive. People criticize Leo, but he's actually always incredibly well-informed. I didn't know most of that stuff because it's not my expert topic, but that was incredibly comprehensive. But also, and you made some interesting points in there about, Toby mentioned the same point in our last episode about cold weather's actually killed more. And I've noticed it's just, it's so, I mean, of course, it's so ideological now. It's hard to know what the science is, or actual science, not the science, which I can't even say anymore because it's been discredited. But you have people like Adil Ray, OBE, all these people we know not to trust saying, it, the, the country's literally on fire. It's like, it's not literally on fire, mate. And I don't trust you or Gary Lineker. And, and, and like you said, I mean, Peter Hitchens shared an article from the 70s from the BBC saying we're headed for an ice age. So it does make one yeah. rather skeptical. I'm just a layman. Every generation, every generation, there's a new ap- apocalypse we need, to, we need to worry about, whether that's peak oil or the new ice age or, or whatever it is, uh, nuclear apocalypse, there's, there's always something to worry about. And the, the world always seems to sort of find a way and work its way through. And obviously, we want to, you know, minimize uh, any sort of change in the climate, really. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to, to efforts to uh, stop climate change, but I am opposed to giving governments huge amounts of power. Uh, to do it and trusting governments to do it, I think I think the free market can do an incredible job. But look at look at Elon Musk with Tesla, uh, you know, pushing the move to to electric vehicles. He's done that far more successfully than a, than a government would do. Um, and the same with carbon sequestration and all the rest of it. You know, this is this is stuff that. Uh, governments shouldn't really be uh, leading with or tinkering with too much because um, you know the, the the private sector is going to do a better job at it. Yeah, and with the clock against us, as our friend Mark Dolan likes to say, uh, can you just give me your take on the final of the unholy trinity, which is wokeness and wokery? I mean, obviously, it's in a way your whole thing. I feel like fighting wokeness is practically 80% of what we seem to do. But I thought I'd just ask you, you know, what is it, wokeness, and how do we defeat it? Well, so wokeness uh, in its original essential form was uh, just trying to be more understanding of uh, social inequities around race, uh, gender, sexuality, all that kind of stuff. Uh, be understanding of them and try and, you know, ameliorate the negative impact of them. Um, but that is sort of metastasized into what we have now, which is uh, it's just used as a, it's become a new ideology. Um, that's, that's used like, like any previous ideology has been used to, to sort of punish people and, and also gain, uh, gain power and gain cultural and social cachet amongst the people, um, you know, destroying other people. Um, and you can see the negative impact because, um, you know, some people say, oh, woke is, woke is, is just people trying to be nice. So how could that possibly be bad? Well, look at the grooming gang scandals, um, you know, Rotherham, Telford, Oxford, everywhere, Oldham, like so many, Halifax, so many different towns. It sounds like Ricky Gervais listing all the places he's going to go when he leaves the office. But um, the grooming gang scandal was allowed to happen. They allowed... Um, uh, Pakistani Muslim gangs to commit pretty much the worst crimes in humanity. Uh, not not just you know the gang rape of children over over um, decades, uh, but also the murder of the children. Um, you know, so, there was a pregnant girl in Telford whose uh, house was burnt down with her family inside, and you know she and her, her family died. Really horrific um, crimes. These were allowed to go unchallenged partly because the authorities were afraid of looking racist. So after, you know, the McPherson report and the police, uh, which, you know, dealt with St- Stephen Lawrence, which, uh, you know, revealed um, uh, sy- systemic racism in the Metropolitan Police, authorities were really careful uh, to not be racist. Um, but that meant that they couldn't tackle these gangs because to do so would have could have led to accusations of racism. And even now, even now, you've got the woke establishment, such as The Guardian, um, pushing this narrative that just the concept of grooming gangs, Pakistani Muslim grooming gangs, is uh, a far-right conspiracy theory, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, I looked at their, their data. I'm a, I'm a former criminal intelligence analyst, so I, I understand how data is, is analysed. And they completely misrepresented the data, and really, um, you know, to 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 a level that's uh, it's really malicious lying. The Guardian said that um, they basically said that because most paedophiles in the UK are white men, um, it's a myth that there are Pakistani Muslim grooming gangs, and it's like the UK is eighty seven percent white, so you'd expect um, you'd expect eighty seven percent of of paedophiles to be 
white men, if you know, if all other factors were were even. Um, the fact is that you know this particular demographic group is overrepresented in grooming gangs in this particular crime, and you know the the fact that you know so the Guardian's trying to be woke, trying to be good. They're like they're not just they're not just allowing it to happen. There anybody that tries to stop it gets the finger pointed at them and called racist. And you know for me that's just insane. I think future generations are going to look back on this mania and. Be like, what on earth were you thinking? It's like it's like Jimmy Savile. It's like the BBC, but if everybody was not just the BBC was covering it up, everybody was covering it up, and anybody, you know, Jimmy Savile getting found with, uh, you know, girls, uh, you know, caught by the police mid mid rape, mid assault, you know, in the morgue or whatever, and uh, anybody who mentions it is is racist against you know old men in tracksuits. It's an absolute insanity of our times. Yeah, and I was actually disgusted that on our own show, Headliners, on a night when neither of us were on, annoyingly, they discussed Telford, and some of that same uh, attempt to cover it up was done by the panelists who were on that night saying, oh, there's also white pedophiles and blah, blah, all this irrelevant stuff. It's like, no, it yeah. t- tackle the problem because a thousand girls have been raped here and abused. And it, it's yeah. just, if you can't admit that, there's just something badly wrong with you. And I thought it was appalling. When I worked in the police, uh, we were we were told, you know, if you ignore uh, an overrepresentation of a particular um, demographic, whether it's you know ethnic, sexual, gender, whatever it is, uh, as as perpetrators of a crime, if you ignore that because you're worried about you know flagging it up, worried about looking racist, then you're doing that community itself a huge disservice. Because now, uh, you know, Pakistani Muslims, you know, a, a great number of them who you know aren't. In, in grooming gangs and you know aren't don't think it's it's a good thing obviously um they're getting smeared they're getting smeared and you know it's, it's fomenting it's giving uh the far right you know something to to, to grab onto and use as a, as a lever um so you know to to ignore it is is absolutely um disgusting and, and destructive and there was also that thing that and unfortunately it happened again on our show when we went on when they someone when people say asian and it's like well no they're not hindus they're not you know, Sikhs, they're not Chinese, and, and they're not yeah. even Indian Muslims, apparently. We have to be very specific, because like you say, otherwise you yeah. end up smearing all kinds of people, and it's completely unfair. I just wanted to come back yeah. on two things you said about what this is. Just to finish that up, yeah. there's no jeopardy. There's no jeopardy for anybody in being woke. So, you know, you can yeah. you can go, you can write an article um, misrepresenting the data and saying that, um, that grooming gangs don't exist is a far-right myth. And there's no jeopardy for you. There's never going to be any jeopardy for following the establishment woke line. There is jeopardy for telling the truth and you know speaking out against it because then you know you could be accused of being racist, far right, and all the rest of it, and all the other things that are uh, that are considered the the absolute worst things in the world these days. Um, so I mean that's that's why everybody errs on the side of you know oh no no I I didn't see anything no I no those mugshots I I don't see anything in those mugshots. There's there's a jeopardy involved in noticing the truth. Good point. And um, the only other point I wanted to come back on was when you said wokeness started off with some sort of good intention. I don't think it did. I think it was just leftism in another guise and always evil. But we can disagree, perhaps. But and the, the other question which you didn't quite answer, though, if we have time, is how do we stop it, Leo? We need the answers from you. Is it by being politically incorrect? You know, in your know, comedy. Is it by just telling the truth? What's the answer? Because we are they they own all the institutions and we are fighting back but we're still behind. I see it as like a football match. We were 4-0 down. We got it back to about 4-2 and 4-3 even. We've got the momentum, but we're still losing. That's how I see it. How do we beat these people or this ideology? Well, this ideology is now sort of enshrined in the, the operation of all our governments and institutions. So every organization has got an equality, diversity and inclusion department. And you know they're never looking for genuine uh, diversity and inclusion. You're never going to get a BBC uh, EDI person ensuring that there's enough Brexit voters uh, represented in a comedy show, but um, and also uh, throughout the world of finance and business, you've got ESG, so that's environmental, social, and governmental uh, issues. So any, any uh, you've got to do an audit of of your business and see how it's going to impact like that, and make sure it, uh, you can show the positive benefits environmentally, socially, and governmentally if you want investment from banks. Um, and uh, big funds like Vanguard or BlackRock to, to flow into your into your business, but this stuff is destroying itself, just as you know communist autocracies eventually destroy themselves. So uh, ESG um, 
that governs all this financial stuff. Um, so the, to, to take Netflix, Netflix as an example, uh, they've they've had in the past few years they've had to follow these ESG guidelines. So now they're making loads of super woke TV uh, that really pushes and preaches, you know, like oh trans people are are great and you know ethnic minority people. Here's a you know a million mixed race relationships, blah blah blah. Look, Anne Boleyn was black. All the rest of it, you know, they're pushing all this stuff, but because they're focused on that. It's becoming preachy, and they're completely forgetting to to write an engaging and interesting story that's you know relatable and and believable. So it's becoming this sort of preachy propaganda instead. So it's not entertaining people. So people are going somewhere else for their entertainment. So the more the more all our institutions become woke, uh, the more I, I relish and bask in it because they're destroying themselves, and we've now got a, a, a free market. And people can come and find and seek out the stuff they want to see. So every time Netflix makes, uh, you know, a, a woke TV show, or every time the BBC put on uh, some terrible comedian just because they're uh, transgender and uh, you know mixed race or whatever, people will come and find my my YouTube channel. So it's it's good news for me. So you see it more like that old uh, quote: "When your enemy is making a mistake, don't interrupt him." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, when people tell you what they are, believe them. All right, so maybe that maybe Leo's given us the answer to how we destroy wokeness. Well, you, you mentioned briefly your job that you had, which I was, I'm always interested if you had a normal type of job and always slightly scared that you had that, but it is partly probably why you're quite knowledgeable on all these things. But I also was really interested in your time in Parliament, going for Parliament. Didn't you run for the Scottish Parliament? Yeah, yeah, I ran for the Scottish Parliament last year. Last year it was, it was uh, for the Reclaim Party. Um, and is that something you how did it go is it something you don't want to even talk about <laughs> no it was fun um, the only problem was so um, the date of the elections so I was running for election in Glasgow and Lawrence Fox was running for mayor in London uh, but obviously Lawrence Fox um, it, it was it was awkward timing because you know the party's attention was split on two campaigns Um and obviously, mine was slightly less important. <laughs> but, you know, people are like, oh, you only got 114 votes, you know. And it's like, well, that's actually, I was surprised I got that many um, because it's not like I did any work. I was really, I really didn't want to, I didn't want to win. Um, next, if I ran again, I definitely, definitely want to win because I think, you know, we do need people in parliament who are who are driven by a desire to make the world better um, or at least, you know, not destroy the world. Um, but one of the things that really, screwed me over was uh, so everybody was saying um like our advisors were saying get the leaflets because uh, you get a you get a mail out to every household in glasgow so this was this would have been like what three hundred thousand uh, leaflets uh, mailed out to every household in glasgow and uh, that's just part of the the thing that you get as as a candidate and they were like, oh, make sure uh, you get them printed in Scotland because it'll look bad if you know people get it through the door and it says in the back they're printed in, in Essex. And we had printers that we knew and trusted in Essex. And George Galloway used printers in Essex. Um, but we used printers in Scotland. And the trouble with Scotland is the SNP controlled the economy there because you know the public sector is such a huge, you know, much bigger proportion of the economy in Scotland than it is in, in England. Um so people are afraid of going against the SNP. And I'm not saying this is what happened, but somehow, somehow between uh, between the printer and the Royal Mail in Scotland, which is obviously, you know, uh, kind of under the, the auspices of the government, uh, my leaflets uh, just went missing and didn't, didn't get sent out. So that pretty much completely scuppered my um, scuppered my campaign because that was my big chance to get the message out to to everyone, and I didn't I didn't get to you know go on any of the hustings or or anything like that. So it was uh, in fact I, w- I went through to to Edinburgh. There was one place there was a rally that I was going to be in the hustings, and they actually uh, the police uh, under I don't know if they were under government um, under you know government advice but they said i wasn't allowed to speak so i was pretty much you know any time a chance the only thing i had was my, my youtube videos and uh, they weren't seen by enough people but i was really running to just raise awareness of the hate crime bill and really i was running just to say i told you so in five years time when they start building gulags in scotland so i think five years time i'll be able to turn around and be like well told you this was gonna happen and i love i just love saying i told you so 
Yeah, well, I thought it was brave that you ran. I mean, I thought it was bold, and the people were like, oh, you didn't get that many votes. But it was your first try. You, you're not in in that system, like you say. Leaflets went missing. Probably happens all the time. Just accidents. Birds go off, carry them off. But um, yeah, but I, I, it was bold that you ran. Like you say, you can now say I did warn you. I mean, I would have voted for you if I was in Scotland. I mean, I'd vote for almost anyone over the SNP to be fair. But but I'd definitely vote for you. And all right, I think that's probably that's probably enough. I think we we covered a lot. And um, is there anywhere, and don't leave the call because we need your audio <laughs> because that's happened before, oh, bo- yeah. boomer tech issues. But for the audience, in terms of leaving this call, is there any is there any um, place we can find you? You know, you've got your YouTube, you've got your socials. What's the best place to find you? Yeah, best place is my YouTube. I've got, you know, I put a video up there every week, sometimes two videos. So yeah, that's that's the best place Just to go. Just Leo Curse. You, you're incredibly prolific, aren't you? And you've been putting out loads of stuff. I mean, you claim you're lazy and yet you do so much work. They asked me to do appearances on like, GB and other places, and quite often I pace myself and go, I'm not going to do that one. But you just do them all. You're kind of famous for yeah. always doing everything. And you put out a lot of YouTube content. What is the approach to YouTube or, or your general philosophy on doing all these appearances? Oh, you've got to um, – I mean, I, well, I just enjoy doing GB News, and it's not really um, – it doesn't feel like work. Uh, it's fun. And, you know, I can prepare for the shows quite easily. And I just, I really enjoy doing it, especially now I'm not gigging as much because it gives me the same sort of buzz that, that gigging did. Um, my YouTube videos are a bit of a, um, like I've got to write them, script them out quite quite tightly and then do them and then edit them. So that that takes some time. But um, but yeah, I've got like Patreons. So uh, that really spurs me to, to do it because I'm doing it from my, from my Patreons and I love to hear you know their response they get it early and i love to hear their response to the to the videos and your your twitter i'm looking at is at leo curse you've managed to actually get your own name because it's quite yeah. a strange name is it Le- is it uh, is your full <laughs> name leopold or, or leonardo no no <laughs> i'm not a turtle <laughs> just checking always wanted to ask you all right thanks for that leo and um all right cheers right thanks nick so that was my interview with Leo. Hope you liked it. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, leave a review, tell a friend, and go to dailyskeptic.org to join up. We rely on your support. And we'll see you September 6th or before if we do another prequel episode. That would be four prequels, one better than those awful Star Wars movies. Bye for now. Bye.